91.3 KBCS, Music and Ideas, listener-supported radio from Bellevue College. I'm Yuko Kodama. Next is a story about Wanawari, a community-centered space in Seattle's Central District. Co-founder Inye Wakoma takes you around his neighborhood and through his family's home as he shares the intense journey of why he started this project Near the corner of 24th and East Marion, on a tree-lined residential street in Seattle's Central District, sits a house. It looks like other houses on the block, except for a sign out front that says Wanawari. It's a Kalabari term, meaning our home. Kalabari is a language from southern Nigeria. Wanawari is a center for black art, stories, and social connection in the Central District. The neighborhood around it was, at one point, almost 80% black, but today, due to rising housing prices and property taxes, the central district is under 10% black. Gol Hogugi and I spoke with Wanawari's founder, Inye Wakoma, about how this house became not just a holdout in a rapidly gentrifying neighborhood, but an art space actively seeking ways to reclaim parts of the central district. This is 911 24th Avenue. The house next door, which is a two-story white duplex, was actually the first piece of property that my grandfather bought in 1947. Inye Wakoma is standing in front of Wanawari, a multi-story craftsman house in the Central District. He's telling his family's story with this house. The duplex next door was purchased in 1947 by his grandfather, Frank Green, who had moved to the city from Arkansas. A few years later, he and his wife, Goldine Green, bought the house that is now Wanawari, and then some more houses. Wakoma moves over to the end of the block. 24th Avenue and East Marion Street, and from that vantage point, I can show you two additional houses that my grandparents purchased, renovated, and rented to family here in the neighborhood. And so all these properties were family homes, occupied by family. So it was a very sort of fluid space where people came and went, you know, on a regular basis. And so the idea of them being community spaces is very natural. There have been aunts and uncles, parents and grandparents, family members of all kinds who have called these places home. Such a pretty street. Yeah, let's get in the sun. It's a warm, sunny day. We walk down 24th Avenue a street lined with bungalows and mature trees and gardens. Somebody's, put, somebody's putting up a roof on the house. There's a guy hammering on the roof of a new neutral-colored box-styled house on the corner, a half a block away. Its echoes usher in new houses and residents, building over the history of the Central District. So, you know, one of the foundational visions of Wanawari was that we wanted to experiment with the ways that black art could be a tool to fight displacement and gentrification, right? Well, gentrification has already happened. So now we're working on, you know, well, how can we, how can we stem the tide of displacement, right? And in this case, you know, thinking about how art can really be a tool to support the needs of black homeowners, right? And uh, preserve black home ownership in the neighborhood. So that's actually was a, a foundational part of our vision even from the beginning. So, you know, the first thing is just to demonstrate that something is possible, right? That you can take a house, turn into a community space 
and it can be something that's real, uh, relevant, and meaningful for the community. That's the first step. And in doing so, you're also demonstrating to other people in the neighborhood, and in this case specifically, you know, other black homeowners, that there are a wider range of possibilities than selling your house because of rising property taxes and, and the cost of of, of maintenance and just living in, you know, in the neighborhood. So, you know, just the act of holding the space, you know what I'm saying, is a profound act in and of itself in transforming the consciousness around it, but then taking it for, further and using it as a platform to organize around really tangible issues. Specifically in this case, you know, land use issues around what's allowed, you know, by our laws and the bureaucracy that's set up for people to be imaginative about creating solutions like this. So that gets into more of the implementation of art as a tool for change. Wakoma had been feeling pressure to sell the house Wanawari is in. His grandmother owns it, but Wakoma is her court-appointed guardian and is tasked with balancing her finances. There were years where he was drawing from her savings to pay for expenses, and his estate attorney urged him to sell the house. But he was committed to keeping this home in his family. Eventually, he was able to team up with artist Elisheba Johnson, formerly of Seattle's Office of Arts and Culture, writer and artist Rachel Kessler, and Jill Friedberg of The Shelf Life Project. They worked together on a community engagement project in the Central District. Wanawari became that project's physical home. Plus, it provided Wakoma with enough money to support his grandmother. My estate attorney, you know, who for the first couple of years was like, okay, when are you going to sell a house? <laughs> when are you going to sell a house? The last time I talked to her and we were doing the annual report for the court, she's like, you balance the books. That's good. <laughs> and that's all she had to say. <laughs> you know, so I didn't have to like stall her. I stalled her for like two years. Like, oh, I'm going to get to it. I'm going to do it. I'm about to do it. Right. Holding this space is critical to Wakoma. Of course, it's been in his family for generations. But a home serves many purposes. Yes, there are the obvious purposes. The physical purpose, a place to sleep, protected from a cold, rainy winter. The monetary purpose, an investment to transfer intergenerational wealth. But there's also the community purpose, a backyard to throw a party in, a porch to strike up a conversation on, a living room to invite someone into, a tangible investment and connection to those around you. The community that was there when Wakoma's grandfather built this house is not the same today. There was a time when I could have walked out my door and gone up to 23rd and Union to get something from the store, you know, and spent a couple of hours, you know, hanging out in the parking lot, just talking to people. Right. Social interactions that might then have turned into, you know, us walking back down and then coming and doing something at the house or coming down here and then, you know, seeing a cousin or seeing somebody and then hanging out with three or four people. Right. And then it turns into an entire day or it turns into somebody saying, hey, they're having a party over there. Let's go over there and let's go do that. You know, or let's go downtown. There's a whole, you know, different kind of experience that sort of bleeds in and out of, you know, your intimate spaces. That's hard to quantify. That's hard to like pin down and say, it's specifically this, you know, it's kind of everything. Houses in the neighborhood sell for around a million dollars and they sell quickly 
which favors people who have readily available money. Wacoma says these factors make it difficult for residents who left the Central District to come back and be homeowners. There are new developments nearby on 23rd and Union that provide affordable housing, but only as rentals. There's the aspect that, you know, when you live in a neighborhood where people's lives are so intertwined between their personal, their work, their recreational, and their institutional lives, meaning where they go to worship or places where they go to engage in various forms of community service, whether it's sports. There are lots of interwoven relationships that come along with that and a lot of cross-generational relationships. And so, you know, leaving your house doesn't feel like you're leaving a familiar space into an unfamiliar space. It just means, feels like you're leaving maybe a more intimate familiar space to a more communal intimate space. That's not the case anymore. If you were to take that as sort of a foundational anecdote and sort of extrapolate all the possibilities of what community life is based on being a part of that kind of rich sort of relationship, you know, network or ecosystem, you can imagine, you know, what it means when that's gone. Wanawari is preserving that sense of familiarity, even if it's contained inside 911 24th Avenue East. It's become a space where other members of the community can meet and engage with each other. Even though the neighborhood has changed and people have moved, there's a house that people are invited into to connect with the community. The house is an old craftsman with wood floors and a big living area on the first floor. And then there's bedrooms upstairs. Inside Wanawari, Wakoma shows us the films of videographer and curator Amir George, a featured artist at Wanawari. So, you know, we do, this is a room that we use for, you know, for film installations. And so um, sometimes it's just the film. We move on to an installation by Shelf Life, an oral history project. In the room, there's a big map of the neighborhood. Yeah, and this is a Shelf Life community story project room where we do oral history gathering, sit down and talk to folks. So this is now a permanent um, feature here and will grow over time. Um, And by holding space, telling these stories, Wanawari can inspire other people to keep the spaces that are meaningful to them, even though it isn't easy. Wakoma is no stranger to the challenges of this. He went through his own fight to keep a house. It's the one next door. He lives in it. The subject emerged of this story having, you know, some really deep spiritual dimensions and and emotional, and that's all true. So the house that I live in is the first house that my grandfather, before he was married, purchased. In 1947. In fact, Wakoma calls himself a steward of that house. And there's a story that sheds some light on this, but it's a bit complicated, so try and stay with me. Wakoma's grandfather at some point put his brother, or Wakoma's great uncle, on the deed to his house, the one purchased in 1947. Wakoma is unsure exactly why this happened, but he has a guess. I have often speculated that they were put on the deed of the house so that then they had some equity leverage to purchase their first home. Um, but then they stayed on the deed. Like, nobody went back and took them, off, <laughs> took them off the deed. And it's one of those things that 
is not a problem until it's a problem. It became a problem when that great uncle passed away. The great uncle's wife had dementia and her estate was put in guardianship. That guardianship put the house up for sale. Wakoma and his wife took out a loan to buy the house and keep it in the family. And just think about that for a moment. Wakoma is essentially repurchasing a house that has been in the family for over 50 years. Anyway, Wakoma buys the house. And then it's 2008, the year of the financial crisis. The housing bubble bursts. Wakoma took out a subprime mortgage and is now in tens of thousands of dollars worth of debt. Oh, and the stress of debt and trying to save the house breaks up his marriage. Wakoma calls this time the dark night of the soul. In the end, he was able to keep the house, and the dark night of the soul was fundamental to the creation of Wanawari. That experience for me personally is entirely bound up with the trajectory of the emergence of this space here. For me, that personal experience of going through that, living through that, pushing through that, fighting like sleepless nights of anxiety and, you know, and probably undiagnosed depression and all sorts and, and just sort of constant fear and uncertainty. And then coming out on the other side gave me the kind of stamina to be like, yeah, I'm not giving up. <laughs> And it, it really did let me know that the thing that people say is a foregone conclusion is not always a foregone conclusion, right? That there are always other possibilities. You know, when you get a notice that says your active balance is $88,000 and how would you like to pay today? It just makes you laugh. <laughs> like, really? Is that a real question? <laughs> and then they're calling you like, hey, Mr. Wilcoma, they do their whole spiel, Right. We're calling from so-and-so-and-so. We want to let you know that this call is going to be recorded and blah, 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 blah. And this is an attempt to collect the debt. And your, your balance today is $92,372.54. How would you like to make that payment today? And you just laugh. <laughs> You're like, because, there's a, because it's not like you can set payment arrangements up. They're not going to set payment arrangements. The only way that they'll, you can set up any kind of payment plan is if you pay the active arrears and get current, and then they'll set a payment plan. And so there's a point at which it just becomes impossible to actually do anything, right, with the way that the industry works. And so you become resigned to the absurdity of the situation at a certain point, coupled with all the real fears around actually being homeless, right? And then for me, you know, all of the anxiety around being the custodian of this home and then ultimately losing it, right? You know, so for me, coming out on the other end of that and still being in place, I was just filled with possibility. I had come out on the other side of that dark night of the soul and was a transformed person. There are other stories like this in the Central District. Wakoma tells a story about someone he saw often at Wanawari. He was coming to our events on a regular basis. And so, you know, it was one of maybe the second or third time that he'd come to one of our our open events, and I was sitting on the porch, and he just came up to me, and he just was, man, I just, I just want to know how you did this. I want to know how you did this. I'm living in my mother's house, and she passed, and my sister has control of it, and she doesn't live in the city, and she just wants to sell it. And I'm living in this house, and I'm afraid that this house is going to be sold, and, and it's just going to be gone. For the first time in coming here, he felt like there was a sense of possibility other than 
just selling the house. Like, and for me, for, at this point, that was almost a year ago, and it's still one of the most, for me personally, moving moments, and probably the moment that is most perfectly aligned with why I'm doing this work. You know, for someone just to say, I see what you're doing, and not only does it give me hope, it makes me want to do something. It makes me want to figure this out, you know, instead of giving up. For KBCS, I'm Yuko Kodama. This story was co-produced with me by Gol Hogugi, Hans Anderson, Adria McGee, and Jesse Callahan. For more KBCS stories and to support our work with a donation, you can visit kbcs.fm.